Lydia's going to read from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 13. Sorry. <laughs> As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But, but to each one of us, grace has been given as, a Christ, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I want to remind you of the big picture. So our goal or vision or end points however you want to talk about it, is a transformed city. Dude, if you could put that slide up, that'd be great. And the vehicle for that, the way it's going to happen, is a contagious gospel. The gospel's about making life better for people. It's about making disciples or salt and light, as Jesus put it. And for the gospel to be contagious... Church has to work as Jesus designed it. Church has to be functional, in other words. And that's not about a particular governance or style. It's about the way we live and work together. Because the gospel, the way that Jesus designed it, is naturally contagious. For Jesus, unity was a really, really big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal. At the Last Supper, pretty much the last thing he prayed for, the twelve, was that they would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And then he prayed the prayer again, not for the twelve, but for us for everyone who would believe in his name, that we would be one the way that Jesus and the Father are one. And that's a big prayer. So it's not surprising that Paul picks it up. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, 
There's one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one Lord and Father of us all. Seven times, there is just one. There are no second-class Christians. There are no category one and category two Christians. There are no ordained and special Christians and unordained and not-so-special Christians. There's just one. Unity in the body crosses every sort of boundary, race, culture, nationality, status, gender, experience, ability, taste and style. Every single human boundary is crossed by the gospel. And we're one. And this is a big deal. And yet, in the very same breath that Jesus talks about our oneness through Paul, he introduces diversity. But, he says, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then there's that hymn to the resurrection. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and pastors and teachers. Ephesians is a major epistle for the church. And unlike most of the letters, Ephesians wasn't written to kind of sort out a tangle or problem in the church. This is happening or this is happening or this is happening. Ephesians has the great big sweep of the purposes of Christ to gather everything into himself. It has the DNA of the church. And in chapter 4, as Paul's letters usually do, he, he changes from the kind of theology and the big picture into the practical application. And the very first thing that he wants to tell us is that in our unity, he has introduced diversity. Some of us are apostles, some of us are prophets, some of us are shepherds, some of us are evangelists, some of us are teachers. Until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. Jesus perfectly embodies all of the fivefold ministries. We haven't got time this morning, but it would be easy to go through the Gospels and show how Jesus perfectly embodies every one of the fivefold ministries. But we don't. Within our essential unity, we have different grace apportioned, not as we have chosen, but as Jesus himself has willed. Note that Paul doesn't say you can only have one. Nor does he say that there aren't any others. Nor does he say that everybody's always going to find it easy to identify with which one there is, which one they are. But together, we will look like Jesus. Jesus perfectly embodies all five, but we don't. We're typically strong in one or two, and usually there's also one or two that we're really not very strong in. 
I use shepherd rather than pastor because it makes a much better acronym. And also because if you say pastor, that often means church leader and people get confused. My hope and our purpose at looking at this together, which we're going to do today and then not at the annual meeting, but for four Sundays after that, is to get hold of our calling together better so that in our hands the gospel is contagious. Now this understanding of fivefold ministries has always been there in the church, kind of in the background, but it's only in the last 20 or 30 years that the church has rediscovered it across many different streams. For most of the history of Christendom, it looked like this. Put the next slide up. Very small apes, very big shepherd teacher. There was very little emphasis on the prophet, on the apostle, the prophet, or the evangelist, and everything was about the shepherd and the teacher, and much worse than that, the shepherd and teacher role was identified with the ordained clergy who uh, were male. So basically, the idea was that everybody's kind of a passenger in the boat going to heaven, but your friendly neighbourhood local priest is kind of the pilot standing with the tiller, and if you sit still and behave yourself and tithe nicely and do what you're told, the boat will carry you to heaven. And that's a little bit of a caricature, but it's only a little bit. So there was this huge division between the clergy and and including the people who are in the monasteries and everybody else. The Reformation didn't really change that. Still, important leadership meant ordained leadership with, you know, maybe some key volunteers, but still, that the ordained leadership, they, you know, they really rock. And it was very shepherd and teacher in the way it worked. But the Holy Spirit has been blowing that apart across many denominations and many streams. The Holy Spirit's been blowing it apart and stirring up the church. And um, if you've been part of our church a while, uh, you will know about pendulums because for a while in our church, when we were rediscovering this, the pendulum swung the other way and you got very big apes and very small shepherds, teachers, and all the emphasis was on the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and especially on the apostles. And, um, you know, if you wanted to be special, be an apostle. I hope we've got past that now. This is an illustration of how the gifts work together, and it's from my friend Lee, who leads a church in Whitby. And it's based on a wheel, And at the centre of any wheel, there is a hub. And if you don't have a hub, the wheel falls to bits. The shepherd is the hub. The shepherd holds everything together. The shepherd holds the community together. Shepherds act as the anchor. They make sure we care for one another. 
If you're doing something new and there's no shepherd, the chances are it will all fall apart. The teacher keeps the wheel on the ground, keeps us grounded in the Bible, in the truth, in the word of God, and in spiritual wisdom. Without a teacher, the wheel loses its traction and quickly spins off. This has happened many times in the history of the church. You know, and things have grown up that, that were good and then sort of veered off and became a, a heresy or a cult. It's happened time and time again through the centuries. The prophet's place is in the heavenly realms, up where they can see and speak into direction and climate and position. Prophets are alive to the word of God. They're alive to hearing what the Lord is saying. Without the prophet, you often end up with just good ideas and usually too many of them. Without the prophet, you lose that orientation towards hearing God's voice and obeying it. What is the Lord saying? Are we doing that? The apostle gives the church momentum and direction. No apostle, often no momentum, no movement. Seen that in the last century or two where kind of all the ministry is kind of shepherd and teacher. There's no momentum. It's not going anywhere. And the evangelist also keeps the the wheel moving because the evangelist brings new disciples on board. No evangelist, it's hard to make new disciples. It's really hard. No evangelist, and the church is like a train disconnected from the carriages. You know, the train might be going quite fast, but, you know, what's happening? And I like to add another one as well on the next slide, which is the big question mark, which is don't know. Don't know. Not sure how I fit into this. I'm not even sure if I buy into it. I just don't know. And uh, if that ends up being you, it's okay. It doesn't make you any less part of the church family. All fivefold ministries are equal in their value to Jesus and their value to the church. They enable us together to reflect and embody and carry the ministry of Jesus. And we all have to do all of them. Everybody has to be a shepherd. Everybody has to be an evangelist. You'll remember that when Paul wrote to Timothy, who definitely wasn't an evangelist, he said, one of the things he said to Timothy was, do the work of an evangelist. Everybody has to do all of them, but there will be one or two that we excel at, that we shine at, that are particularly our gift to the body. See, evangelists, for example, don't just do evangelism. Evangelists sharpen all of us in evangelism You know, if you're doing something, if you started an initiative or if you've got a small group or a household or something and you haven't got an evangelist and you notice it's difficult to get your contacts kind of 
over the threshold into faith, you could invite an evangelist along, but you could equally well go and hang out with one and do what they do for a bit. And what they do and the sharpness of it will rub off on you and you can bring it home. If you're one of those kind of exciting young pioneers and you're not very pastoral, you know, you could invite a pastor around or you could just go and hang out with some pastors and watch what they do and learn and think, you know what, we could have our team around for a meal and not just do anything and stuff like that. It's important as far as you can that you know which one or two you are and just as important which one or two you're particularly not. That's very freeing. But I want to give you a spiritual health warning. Your fivefold does not define you. Your fivefold does not say who you are in Jesus. Your identity is being rooted in Christ who knows you by name. So I want you to imagine that I'm talking and all of a sudden Jesus kind of physically appears just behind me. And um, all of us fall flat on our face because it's the king of kings and we can't move because Jesus is here. Lord, you can do this anytime. I don't have to finish the talk. But Jesus is here and we're flat on our face. And maybe he does what he did to John at the beginning of Revelation and very gently he walks up to each of us and just touches us on the shoulder and raises us to our feet so that we're actually able to look at him, which isn't easy. And maybe he says, next Thursday, I want to gather you all for a meal here. Bring your family, bring your kids. We're going to have a meal together. And sometime during the meal, I'm going to show up and I'm going to give you a new adventure. And this is what we're going to do. You lot do the shopping. You lot prepare the starter. You lot get the main course ready. You do the pudding, and you do set up. And we would all be there, every one of us, with everybody in our family we could get. And we would give it our all. We, you know, we'd we give it all we've got to make it happen. And then Jesus would show up and you know, he would probably totally subvert the whole thing. He'd bring about a thousand marginalised and vulnerable people with him and there wouldn't be enough food and he'd move us all out on the plaza you know, and he'd um, multiply the food. And, you know, and it would be amazing. But when the meal started, we would not define ourselves by our role in getting it ready. You know, we'd not be sitting there saying, oh, just, just by the way, I, I did the starter. 
I just want you to know the first food Jesus eats. You know, that, that was me. I, I did that. We, we would not be interested in that. We would be there because of Jesus. Jesus would make it special, not the role that we played. Wouldn't matter. We'd give it our all, but we're there because of Jesus. Your fivefold does not define who you are. Together, we are so much more than we can be apart. Together, we're so much more than we can be apart. And I've said this before, I'll probably say it again, but it's, it, it was said by an African bishop, if you want to go quickly, go on your own. If you want to go far, go with other people. And we want to go far because we've got a whole city to see transformed. Jesus introduced diversity so that we have to work together. We just don't have it on our own. We have to work together. And this is difficult because it brings us close to each other as we do it. And we're not yet like Jesus and we kind of rub up against each other and it's not easy. It's easier to do stuff on your own than to do it together. To do it together requires sacrifice and humility. Jesus introduced diversity in the body. Now, it's his idea that there is diversity in the body. And when I was asking him, well, what do you want out of us this morning? What do you want out of us this morning? Um, he kind of took me back to imagining that meal in the plaza and how amazing it would be if Jesus was there. You know, everybody instantly gets healed. Everybody's instantly healed. And if you've got an addiction, it's broken off you. You know, if your problem's alcohol, you can never taste it again without being sick. If your problem is porn, you can never look at it again without vomiting. If you love money, you can't help but empty your bank account. And I was wondering what sermon and what adventure Jesus would give us. And I had this kind of picture that he wouldn't give a sermon at all because he's kind of given us the words he wants to echo down the ages already in the Bible. And I, I had a picture of his talk. And his talk was him kind of looking around the city and pointing at the city and just doing that pointing at all the people who do not know that God loves them. All the people who are broken and hurting and all the people who do not know God loves them. And 
And I sense that what God wants from us this morning is our yes. Our yes to work together. That we will be humble enough and we will make the sacrifice. Working together is highly inconvenient. It breaks your pattern. You eat food you'd rather not. You do things you'd rather not choose to do at that time or in that way. You have to compromise. You have to kind of get down from up here to down here. But the thing is, there are no passengers in the kingdom of God. There's only the crew on the boat. There are no passengers. Everybody is the crew. And what he wants from you this morning is your yes. I will do it and I will do it together. And I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning. I'm not going to ask you for a physical response. Because sometimes when you do that, you kind of get the crowd dynamic. And everybody wants, you know, well, I better come to the front as well yet. And I, I sense that that's not how God wants us to do it today. He just wants your private, your private yes and um, the worship was amazing, wasn't it, earlier? It almost felt like Jesus was physically standing here. And the way I'd like to do it is if you guys would come up and I'd like them to lead us in some worship. You don't have to stand. You can if you like. You can stay in your seat. But I am inviting you to make up your mind if you're going to give him his yes. Don't say it if you don't mean it, because he will take you at your word. Actually, let's start off by standing. You've been sitting a long time.